Our scripture reading today will be from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 25. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 25. This is the word of God. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. Then it, there Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say, shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and said before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right, thank you, Juan. Um, well, years ago, 2002... Um, uh, Missy and I met. We were uh, in Orlando. I was taking some seminary courses there, and she was going through staff training with crew. And um, and uh, a little problem was that some other guys were pursuing Missy too at the same time. 
that I was kind of getting interested. Uh, but I had one thing uh, working in my favor. Two of my old friends were two of her new friends. And so there was a, there was a couple of guy and girl I went to college with. I was tight with them. They'd gotten married about a year or two before. And uh, they were on staff at the campus that Missy was being assigned to. And so, uh, so they very naturally would, would go out and do stuff in Orlando, and they would invite me, and they invite her. And so it kind of saved me the awkwardness of trying to, you know, ask her out on a date, give her the whole line like God told me to ask you out, and, uh, which she, she got that, not from me. But uh, just a little side note, that's probably not a good opening line for the first date. Uh, maybe the Lord is leading you to do that. Probably don't need to disclose it. Um, but... Uh, but anyway, so, so that was a big, because we got to spend time. I didn't have to, we didn't have like the, the awkward first date or, you know, how do I ask her out? How I go? It just, it just kind of happened. It was kind of a smooth transition. And so, so, so for that situation, it was really nice to have somewhat of a mediator, right? Somebody who was kind of maybe talking me up a little bit, a friend that kind of, uh, brought us together and, you know, a, a lot of people meet this way. I mean, every now and then you have the bold soul that just kind of sees somebody across the room and just, you know, goes for it. And that usually doesn't work out, but sometimes it does, maybe. But usually there's somebody that's kind of mediating in the middle, right? And even like with work, like a, a lot of us find our jobs through um, knowing somebody. You know, a lot of you guys are going to be graduating soon or in the next few years. Um, and, and a lot of that might come about through people you know. So there's that Old saying, it's not what you know, but it's, it's who you know. And that's often can be true. And, and a lot of the Bible is about this idea of mediation. Uh, a lot of the Old Testament and the New Testament is about a, a mediator. And in particular, about a mediator between God and man. And, and the issue is, is obvious. You all know that God is holy and that man is not. That's a problem. And there's a, there's a separation between the two. And so the main focus of the Bible is reconciling God and man. Like wherever you're, you're, you're starting from in the Bible, one of the main ideas is how does God and man become reconciled? And a lot of Exodus 19 is about that. And so as we look at Exodus chapter 19, I want to ask four questions. Uh, and I want to get our answer according to uh, chapter 19. Uh, the first question is this, who is God? According to Exodus 19, then who is Moses? Who is Israel? And lastly, who are we? So uh, Luke, uh, let's, let's do this. Luke, I have my notes. Look. Uh, let's look at uh, uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse uh, 11, 11b to verse 13a. All right, 11b to 13a. And I apologize for the sniffles. When the weather changes, my allergies act up. So it's just part of the cross of bear, right? Okay, um, uh, uh, chapter 19, verse 11b and 13a. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for, for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live." So the Lord is coming down to Mount Sinai. And you should know, so here's kind of where we're at in, in Exodus. There's been, uh, the, the opening part is uh, Israel is in Egypt. They're being delivered out. They, they make it out. And then in verses uh, 16 to 18, they're in the wilderness and they're complaining. And in, verse, in chapters 19 to 24 is about God making a covenant with Israel. So the next few weeks, we're going to be in, in, in that area of the story. 
So God has, the Lord has come down to Mount Sinai and the people are not to go up into the mountain or even touch the edge of it. And if they do, they're to be put to death. Throw stones at them until they die, until their heart stops beating. That's, that's the issue that's going to happen to Israel if they approach the mountain that God is on. Now, let's look at verse uh, 16 to 19. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered back in thunder. The people were terrified of God. Were they wrong to be terrified of God? They were not wrong. They should have been terrified. If they touched the mountain, they're to be put to death. And the mountain's covered in smoke because the Lord descended on this mountain in fire. The mountain is trembling and shaking. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's a trumpet sound that's getting louder and louder and louder. And after Moses speaks, God speaks back in thunder. And we see this event mentioned in Hebrews 12. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 12, 18 to 21 says, You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. The tempest is like a violent wind. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So who is God? Not one to be taken lightly. When he descends on the mountain, don't touch the mountain because you will die. You will be stoned to death. He is one, if you were to encounter the way the Israelites did, then you would be afraid, you would tremble with fear, and that would be the appropriate response. And let me be clear on this. If you meet God, if you meet Yahweh, Outside of Christ, he will be terrifying. So Israel encounters God and they are afraid as they should be. But fortunately for them, they do have a mediator. And that mediator is, of course, Moses. So let's talk about Moses for a minute. Who is Moses? So Moses is a mediator between God and Israel. And several times we read about Moses going up to the mountain of God and then down to the people. And even look at these, there's several verses. In verse 3, we read that Moses went up to God. Verse 14, Moses went down the mountain to the people. Verse 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Verse 21, go down and warn the people. Verse 24, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. Verse 25, Moses went down to the people and told them. So Moses is serving as a mediator between God and Israel. And, and there's a word for somebody that serves as a mediator between God and man. And that word is this, priest. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. It's kind of towards the end in the New Testament. Might do better to go to Revelation and take a left and go backwards. But Revelation, Hebrews Chapter 5, 
verse 1 gives us some insight into what a priest actually is. We hear the word priest a lot. When you hear priest, maybe you think Roman Catholic priest, and it's like a, the, the, the Catholic, Roman Catholic version of a pastor. Uh, but priest is a word we need to know. It has relevance for us, uh, whether, you're, uh, whether you're Roman Catholic or Protestant. Uh, there's some biblical terms that we need to understand, and sometimes the culture can put meaning or whatever into it. But Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 is going to give us some insight to what a priest actually is. Hebrews 5, 1 says this, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. And so what a priest does is that they act on behalf of men in relation to God. A priest is a mediator. Or as I've heard people say it, a priest goes to God about men, and then they go to men about God. So who is Moses? He's a mediator. He's a priest between God and Israel. Now let's get to that third question. Who is Israel? Look at verse 4 in chapter 19. Exodus 19, verse 4. It says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So Israel is a nation that God created out of nothing. You guys remember the story with Abraham. God's going to create a nation for himself. So he takes uh, uh, two old people who could not have children and he gives them a child supernaturally because he's making a nation for himself. And that child has a child who has a child who begins to multiply. And by the time we get to Exodus, we're at a, a nation that is a million plus people. And so Israel is a nation that God created for himself and in Exodus, we are seeing God bring this nation that he created for himself to himself. God's goal in Exodus is to bring his people to himself. There's a lot of other things that are involved, but what God is doing is bringing Israel to himself. Now look at verse 5 and 6 in chapter 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God is bringing Israel to himself, and in that he says three things. First, that they are his treasured possession. Second, that they are a kingdom of priests. And third, a holy nation. So who is Israel? They are God's treasured possession out of all the peoples in the world. And in that, they will be a kingdom of priests. And we just learned that priests are people who act on behalf of God, on behalf of man in relation to God. So the nation of Israel are going to be mediators between God and man. And so this means that not only Israel will have priests, but the whole nation in a sense will be priests to the world, which makes them a holy nation. So, so God isn't just choosing Israel for Israel's sake, but also for the sake of the world. His plan is to make Israel a mediator between God and man to the whole world. That's why in Isaiah 42, 6, we read, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. So God in Israel is, is, is collecting a people for his own possession, and that people are going to be mediators from God to the rest of the world. So God's bringing Israel to himself to be his people, his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, to be a light of the world. 
And the ultimate fulfillment of Israel is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He is the ultimate fulfillment of the people of Israel. He is the ultimate mediator. And so that's why if Israel is supposed to be the light to the nations, then Jesus is the ultimate light to the world. He's the fulfillment of everything that Israel was supposed to be in this idea of being a mediator between God and man. So the fourth question, what does that mean for us? So Israel is the Lord's treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And we see similar language to that in, second P- in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Go ahead and turn there. And we're going to see similar language that's being applied to the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And I believe this is the verse we have on the front page of our website. One of the things, the shorthand purpose of our church is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And this is the context of that, that verse that we have uh, on, that, on, our, on our website. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Christians are people who have turned to Christ, the mediator, to be reconciled to God. We cannot approach God without a mediator. Jesus took the punishment our sins deserved, gives us his righteousness so that we can gain entrance into being a part of the people of God. So Jesus is the ultimate Israel. And when we believe the gospel and repent from our sins and turn to Christ, these promises are extended from Israel to us because the ultimate fulfillment of Israel is Christ. And since we are in Christ, that blessing is extended to us. So now we who are in Christ are God's chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own, possess- own possession. Now, there's a lot to say about all those things, but one thing I want to hone in on is this idea of being a, a, a royal priesthood or a kingdom of priests. In Exodus 19, we see a kingdom of priests. In 1 Peter 2, we read a royal priesthood. We're looking at basically the, the same idea. This idea of a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. What he's saying is that we're all priests. Uh, 500 years ago, when the Reformation, one of the main issues was the priesthood of all believers. One of the things that where the, the Roman Catholic Church lost its way was, was this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, that there was only special people that had access to God, and these people were the mediator. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that we are a royal priesthood. We are a kingdom of priests. And since we are all priests, that means we all must be in the business of going to God about people and going to people about God. And we got to recognize that, that uh, as it, we have to recognize and others recognize that God is holy and unapproachable without a mediator. Now, the only mediator between God and man is Christ. As we read in 2 Timothy 1.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So, we should be praying for those who have not been reconciled to God. We should be talking to God about them and talking to them about God. Because as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we would not be good friends if we're going to water down the holiness of God or if we're trying to make God seem attractive or cool or relevant. Yahweh doesn't need anybody to manage his brand. Right? He is holy, 
And he's not worried about coming across as cool or a certain way. And this is some of my problem with a lot of popular Christianity or pop Christianity, where they're trying to make God or church seem relevant or, or more palatable to the, to the culture and bending to make God, I guess, fit in better with the world as it is today. Several years ago, uh, Rob Bell wrote a controversial book where he basically denied the existence of hell. Um, he wouldn't say that. He would say he's just asking questions about it. He's denying it. Um, but anyway, but, but he, was, uh, it, he had an interview during this book, and Martin Bashir was interviewing him. And, uh, and I appreciate it. He went after him pretty directly. And he said this. This is what Martin Bashir said to Rob Bell. He said, you're creating a Christian message that is warm, kind, and popular for contemporary culture. You are amending the gospel so that it is palatable for contemporary people who find the idea of heaven and hell difficult to stomach. And he, of course, denied that, that, that he was doing that, but I think that is exactly what he was doing. And here's the problem with that. The world doesn't need a message about God that's easier to stomach. I mean, did y'all read what was going on Mount Sinai? You go to the mountain, you die. And it doesn't just say you peacefully just kind of just vanish or whatever. It says, stone them. No hands should touch them. Throw stones at them until their heart stops beating. And so the world doesn't need a more relevant message about God. You know what the world needs? A mediator. Somebody to go between. And that is what the church and every Christian should be about. And so are you doing this? We are a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. And so you have a job as a believer to go to God about men and go to men about God. Are you doing this? Is it even on your radar? And look, I'm not trying to heap up shame. This is a sweet thing that we have access to God and that we've been given this ministry and it should be at the forefront in our minds. And if I were to ask you, you know, who are two or three people that you're going to God praying for, for them to be reconciled for God, and if you couldn't give a, a quick answer right off, then that needs to change. Again, I'm not trying to heap shame on you. I'm just saying this is who we are made to be, that we've been delivered from darkness to light to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And so are you doing this? Are you engaged that this is part of your role? And look, I get some personalities are maybe more extroverted and kind of seem like natural evangelists, but, but there's not, I'm not talking about the gift of evangelism. I'm just saying we are priests and there are people that God has put us around and we are to perform the duties of priests. Go to God about men and go to men about God. Uh, I believe it was, my, it was my junior year of college when uh, I struggled to go to sleep at night. And it was just that, that, that pure and painful silence. It, you know, for me, uh, there was always something going on. There was a, a music was on, a TV was on, there's always noise. But when I went to bed, it was just pure silence. Uh, and it was painful. And, and what was happening to me during that time was just the reality of heaven and hell. And I, I'd grown up in church, and I wasn't quite sure about my salvation. Um, you know, and here's kind of the thing, because sometimes... Um, people struggle with false assurance and they shouldn't. Christians can, can struggle with false assurance and they shouldn't. And sometimes people who aren't actually Christians have assurance and they shouldn't. Um, I was one of the who's in a situation where I think I had false assurance and I think I was thinking I might have false assurance. And so I go to bed tonight and I had this kind of, I missed this weird thought that I might die in my sleep. And so I was thinking about it just painfully every night. 
Um, and I was also embarrassed about it because I'd kind of grown up in the church. I feel like I should have been past that point. And, uh, and I remember thinking, you know, maybe I, I probably just need to read my Bible more because I think God's revealed himself, and so it's in the Bible. And so, and so I started to read my Bible more. And uh, to, be, to be straight with you, I didn't find it helpful. Here's why. No, hear, hear me all the way out. Um, so you ask the question, I want to go to heaven. I want to know how to go to heaven. Read Genesis. Well, I, I think God, I, I, think, I think somebody needs to edit this. This isn't very helpful. And so, so anyway, uh, I, I started to think it, and then I was overwhelmed with it. It's so confusing. I don't know what, what's going on here. Um, and, and so for me, the idea of, of reading the whole entire Bible and somehow cracking the code just seemed like impossible. I, I just didn't think I could do it. Um, and so I was struggling at this point. And then there was one guy I, I knew, um, and according to my standards, he was super solid. Uh, and, and at that stage of my life, super solid means he doesn't get drunk and he goes to church. I mean, what else is there, right? So, uh, so he achieved the, the pinnacle of Christian maturity. Uh, but, but, but I knew that he, he, he followed the Lord and he was a you know, legit guy. And so um, I started to pray uh, for this guy I knew. His name was Clint McCullough. And, uh, and I just prayed that he would talk to me. And even though, like, I was afraid for my, the, 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 my whole eternity, I was too ashamed to bring it up. But I prayed that Clint would, would bring it up and, and talk to me about it. And he did. Uh, I mean, I could tell the story about how it came about, but, but we did talk. We, uh, I, I shared, uh, eventually shared some of my fears and concerns. And we just started to, to meet up and go through the gospel, understand the scriptures more and more. And then there was a whole host of other people um, that, that God used to kind of make things clear. But, but here, here's what I'm saying. There was a mediator. I needed somebody to, to walk me through it. I needed somebody that I could say what I was doubting that could kind of help me to, to understand the scriptures. For somebody who's not really square on the scriptures or has kind of heard the scriptures taught here and there but never really put it together, it needs some, some help just to, just to put it together. And so do you realize that you are a priest, that, that God would perhaps use you to bring somebody from darkness to light? And look, it's not all up to you. I mean, God's going to bring his people to himself, but he uses means. And so he, and he uses, it seems to me he often uses people that you wouldn't expect to use. You know, it's not always the great charismatic evangelist. A lot of times it's just the person walking faithfully that the person sees. You know, with Clint, he didn't do anything special except for be faithful in the place that he was at. I mean, he didn't seem like some kind of brilliant theologian to me. He just seemed like a normal guy that was faithful and somebody that could, that could help. So do you realize that you're a priest? Do you realize that part of your purpose on this planet, the reason you are in, in, your, in this town, in your job, at this school, whatever context you find yourself in, do you realize that the purpose of you being in all those certain places is to go to God about people and go to people about God? Probably in that order. And are you doing that? And if you're not, it's probably a good time to start. And when we talk to people about God, we need to make sure that we're talking about the true God, the God of Exodus 19, Yahweh on Mount Sinai, who is terrifying. 
We don't need to apologize or, or cover over that part. Because the more people understand that God is terrifying, as Moses said he is, the sweeter the gospel's going to be. And the more their affections will be stirred for Christ. You know, the, the Psalms often talk about the joy of our salvation. Some of you, I've, I've talked to folks several times that, that have said, I just, I just feel like I lack that, the joy of my salvation. And I'm sure many of us here can relate. I wonder if the reason we lack the joy of our salvation is we've skipped over Yahweh, the God on Mount Sinai, who is terrifying. And we don't understand our salvation, and so we lack joy. Because in my experience, what really changes people is when they see God and themselves as they truly are. And that's a terrifying thought. And when that tension gets relieved with the sweetness of the gospel, their eyes are open to the grace of God, to the saving work of Christ, then that really changes people. So may God help us to see God as he truly is, to see ourselves as we truly are, and that we would go to God about people and to people about God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are holy, and outside of Christ, you would be terrifying. But because your wrath was spent on your son, by turning to him, we can find mercy instead of wrath. And so would you help us to see that and to understand it? Would you help us to understand what Jesus did for us? And would you use us as priests? Would you have us all go to you about people and go to people about you? In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.